Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, I'm a day late perhaps, but I figured it'd be more appropriate for me to do a little small talk today because I'm speaking to you from London on the 4th of July opposite Buckingham Palace in the heart of enemy territory. And instead of the usual yard sites, I think I'll do something about the birthday of America and the British crown and the Jews. Just a little bit of food for thought. At least I'm under that impression. Behind me is Queen Victoria staring very sternly. Uh, I'm here in London for a few days. This Shabbos I have to give a talk in the synagogue near Yisrael, here in Hendon. And I just want to give a shout out to my hosts, the Blasses and the Stafflers who've been very nice, very hospitable. Without any further ado, today is what, 1776 to today is what? It's almost uh, 250 years, it's 240 something years, right? 243 years of the USA. When the American Revolution broke out, John Adams famously observed that it was one-third, one-third, and one-third, which means one-third of the American colonists were in favor of the revolution, one-third were against the revolution pro-King George, so a very large element. They don't tell you that in the book so much. Very large element in this country that was in favor of keeping the king. Maybe they didn't like the taxes and all that, but you could, that doesn't mean you, you completely make a revolt. And then the third-third, that's one-third here, one-third here, so it was in the middle, you know, join the winner. That's how it usually is. And the same thing, my friends, is true of the Jews. At the time of the American Revolution, there was something like 2,500 Jews in the whole U.S., something along those lines, maybe even a little bit less. That's nothing. In all 13 colonies, uh, you had really a small handful of Jewish communities. The biggest was Charleston with, I don't know how many families, not, not a lot. And, uh, but it's hard to believe that Charleston was once a big Jewish community. And they had New York, of course, and Philly, and Savannah, and uh, maybe another one or two places. Newport fell apart during the Revolution. So it's a different time and a different place, obviously. And again, one third, if you want to be honest about it, one third, one third, and one third. One third of the American Jews wanted to join the Revolution, one third did not. They were in favor of the king. Why would Jews be in favor of the king? Well, the answer is simple. They don't care about taxation or representation. Throughout Jewish history, Jews have had taxation without representation. Give me a break. But the British crown, relative to the other governments, was always very good to the Jews. I think I mentioned when I was in Gibraltar a couple years ago on another trip with a group, uh, Gibraltar was a British colony since, oh, 1704, something like that, the time of the Duke of Marlborough the word of Spanish succession. And when we came there, we saw a shul that was built in 1727, it's still there. And the president of shul said, Rabbi, you have to come here in 1727 or something like that because we'll be celebrating 300 years of Jewish religious liberty under the protection of the British crown. 
And generally speaking, the British Empire, wherever it went, was always pretty good to the Jews in terms of religious liberty. You could always build a shul there, you have a community, and do whatever you wanted, you know, provided you keep the basic laws. That's at a time where in the rest of Europe you had ghettos and crazy laws, you know, you can't Jew, can't go into this business. And in Germany you had the Familiantin Gazettes, which only one member of the family is allowed to get married. Think about that. Only one member of the family is allowed to get married. And uh, you went to England or British or America or, you know, Gibraltar or Malta, one of these uh, British colonies. You could do whatever you wanted. So if you Jew, that's unbelievable freedom. I, you want to read the Declaration of Independence, King George has quartered troops on us and he's made unreasonable searches and seizures. Big deal. Like I said before, for the Jews, that's Tuesday, Wednesday. But you can, you know, generally speaking, they had no trouble with King George. Just like these Jews here now you see in London, they're all in favor of the royal family. I got no problem with that. But uh, the other third, obviously, were close to their Gentile neighbors, in my opinion, and want to go along with the flow. And, uh, you know, if you, were, you were, if you lived in the wrong part, let's put it this way. If you were Jewish, you live in Boston, not that any Jews did. Uh, you're not going to be in favor of the British. <laughs> They'll tar and feather you, literally. So it depends where Jews lived in the time of the American Revolution. And there were some shoals, for example, that when the British came, they ran away. They'll show it to you now when you go to those synagogues. But there were other places the opposite. And in New York City, the British, if you know what happened in the Revolutionary War, the British pretty, pretty quickly on defeated George Washington and conquered New York. And they held it from, I think, 1777 to the end of the war, which was in 1783, I believe, the final treaty. So they occupied, and then the British withdrew. So for those years, there was a show there. There was a Jewish community there. The British didn't bother the Jews. And there are many Jewish merchants that did okay under the British. So I'm just putting a Jewish spin on the 4th of July back in 1776 time and the other times. Uh, today, of course, we're talking about a different world, but I'm speaking, what was it, in those days. So uh, I wouldn't expect any of these uh, lobster backs over here now to, uh, you know, sympathize with the whole George Washington business. Not everybody realized at the time of the American Revolution that it would turn out good. Because George Washington, after the revolution, quit. And uh, the country had like a semi-chaos. They called the Articles of Confederation, which you may perhaps remember from your high school or something. And uh, then they formed the federal government because they had to stop the chaos. It so happened that the people who were in charge of the federal government, the founding fathers, were not anti-Semitic. Not really. And uh, George Washington famously went out of his way to visit a synagogue when he was president. That's the one they show you in, in Rhode Island, in order to make a point. So, okay, if you see the U.S. is going to go on the positive route, not the negative route, then everybody is in favor of the revolution. But at that time, it wasn't so simple. It wasn't so clear. And so you never know which way the direction goes. Here we are, 200, almost 250 years later. But the country, it's hard, you know, like I said before, it's hard for me to get my mind focused on this because I'm standing in front of the <laughs> palace of the British Queen. He's trying to think of America uh, on the 4th of July, which in London, of course, is a nothing day. Uh, if anything, they probably put up a sign, good riddance, you know. But uh, don't worry, the U.S. saved the Britain twice, <laughs> and probably more than that. And uh, the way the world has developed has been uh, very unusual. The re again, I'm speaking from the Jewish perspective because uh, the 20th century is now over, my friends. And I think you know it. By and large, the 20th century, broadly speaking, turned out to be that century in history in which 
the British and American, the Anglo-American power was the dominant one in the world. Just consider what I said. I didn't say they were the only power. I know it was Germany. I know it was Russia. I get it. But overall, generally speaking, the one that had the most say in what goes on in the Welt was the British and the Americans. First the British and then the Americans. This was two countries that were pro-Jewish. There is no way that their Hateva, that the state of Israel, could ever be developed or established or given any kind of international sanction. Because uh, all the other peoples in the world don't have any time for Jews. Just, just get used to that. They're not in favor of Israel or anything. If it's there, it's there. But, you know, they don't think Jews are entitled to any kind of special treatment. For some Meshuggah reason, and the good Lord has his ways, the Anglo-Americans uh, in the 20th century had a streak of philo-Semitism. That means the opposite of anti-Semitism. I'll say it again. Not neutral. I don't have an opinion about the Jews one way or another, but a certain philo-Semitism. And uh, this is Yad Hashem. And this caused the leaders of those countries, to do remarkably pro-Israel and pro-Jewish things. Unfortunately, the climate now is so toxic that when you have the leftover of that philo-Semitism, and the leftover, whether you want to hear it or not, is Donald J. Trump. <laughs> when they have leftover, so since it's Trump, everybody, you know, all the liberals are against it. But uh, this, I hope he's not the last roar of the lion, but it could be, because I don't think any of the political leaders afterwards have that streak that uh, puts him in the line with Balfour and these other guys, in which, for saying, you know, whatever they do, for some sugar and reason, they want to help the Jews. There's no other country. France, if France had ruled Palestine after the First World War, obviously, if Italy, if any of these other countries, Germany, Russia, whatever you name it, there is no way, Jose, they would ever get a state of Israel. Um, and, so, and if it was totally up to the British, uh, you know, then you wouldn't get a state of Israel either. But the Rabbanu Shalom so organized affairs in the world with World War One and World War Two and the aftermath that the ball was first in the hands of the British and then when the British started dropping it Truman and the Americans picked it up and here we are today so the 4th of July and everything it represents has impacted in the most unusual ways in Jewish history that's the 20th century is over so we can now judge the 20th century you and I are living in the 21st century now 2019 and the politics is so nuts that it's impossible obviously to foretell the patterns of the future but again uh, the only comfort we can take in is the same divine hand is running the crazy affairs of the world today and uh, you tell me if anybody predicted somebody like Trump for example was going to be president obviously not I have to tell you this story a lady where I'm staying at uh, told me that in the shul she dumped in six or seven years ago something like that the rabbi made a Parshish Korach speech, because this week is Parshish Korach. Maybe I'll do that later today, if I have a chance. And, you know, what's the usual speech you give a Parshish Korach? Uh, you knock Korach and you build a Moshe. So he said something, again, this is like six or seven years ago. She said something along the lines. Korach, what was it? He was a rich guy. Just because he made money, he thought he could be, take the place of Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, give me a break. Suppose I were to tell you Donald Trump thinks he's able to be president of the United States. You think that means anything? That's also impossible, just like Korach is impossible. Well, Events have left him in the face on that, and he couldn't give that speech anymore. So, what was it Rav Hunter used to say? Self called self ruba ruba the With that, I say, happy birthday, America, from far off in the deep in enemy territory, and uh, I wish you all a good week, and I hope later on today to be able to get in on the Parshish Korach, in which there's always a lot to say. Bye.
For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.